Our second scripture reading is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked because the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Now God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Dead men aren't supposed to walk again. Now just before this passage, Mary Magdalene has rushed into the disciples' upper room, spouting nonsense about Jesus walking and talking, and that he wasn't really dead. There were angels, and they were sitting where Jesus' body had been laid in the tomb. And then she turned around, and there was a gardener near the tomb entrance. And when he spoke, he called her by name, Mary. And it was Jesus. And he told her to go and tell the disciples that he is coming. But dead men aren't supposed to walk again. And so the disciples, they didn't believe her. Her voice silenced, and she is not heard from again in John's gospel. Instead, they lock their doors tight, they shutter their windows, their lost hopes and dreams buried with the man they thought was finally going to save them. Their Messiah had been executed, it was all over, and now they feared the Jewish leaders were going to come after them, and so they dared not venture out. Terror follows them as they try to discern what the future holds. 
Will they even be able to leave this house alive? But then before their eyes walks Jesus, once dead, he now stands before them. On this second Sunday of Eastertide, the lectionary always points us to this passage, to these terrified disciples and poor doubting Thomas, who always gets picked on. It's that point in the liturgical year when we take a long, hard look at God's post-resurrection world and say, well, now what? And so this gospel story for this week, where Christ invites Thomas to place his hands in Christ's own wounds, is one of the few that we read every single year. And so we have celebrated with mighty hallelujahs, gorgeous flowers, family celebrations, and watched our kids scramble for those eggs in the graveyard. But now the festivities have ended, and the questions start to emerge. The tomb is open, and a dead man is walking, and we are invited in this first post-resurrection time to struggle with Thomas as we wrap our minds around the terror, confusion, and awesomeness of resurrection. After we have celebrated the amazing miracle that Christ overcame death, now we have to come to grips with the confusion and terror that Christ overcame death and a dead man walks again. And so we're invited into that skepticism of this story. We are invited to ask those deep questions and to admit the confusion that comes with resurrection. We can question how this is even possible and even admit that there is a deep cognitive dissonance on one hand between the truth of the resurrection and the ongoing reality of death and the world on the other. So let's just name it. Easter has come and it was glorious. But life is still hard and messy, and sometimes it feels like the tomb doors haven't actually been unsealed and broken open. We still live in this time where death seems to dominate, chaos and oppression reign, and fear has unending power. We're often more prone to live as disciples did in those first days, hunkered down, secured behind closed doors, than witnessing that Christ has emerged and is long gone from that tomb. Thankfully, Christ seeks us out as Christ sought out his own disciples, locked doors, failing to hinder him, slipping into the upper room where his disciples hide. His friends' eyes do not recognize him immediately, blinded by the depth of their grief and for the fear of losing their own lives. Forgotten are Jesus' words that he would return in three days, terror and doubt clouding their hearts, immobilized by fear, until Jesus' simple words unlocked their hearts, their minds, and their bodies. Peace be with you. Not once, not twice, but three times Jesus must say this to his disciples. And at Jesus' words, their eyes clear, and the peace Christ offers to them unbinds their hearts and melts the paralysis that has frozen them. 
Jesus is alive, offering that peace that only God can offer, a peace that knows life beyond the darkness of the cross, a peace that Christ wants them and us to know, even though his flesh still bears the nail marks from his death. His wounds still raw and red from the crucifixion. He bears the marks of the world that we know so intimately. Deep wounds that will scar but will not disappear. And so he offers his hands to them. And in his broken palms, they see God. The giver of resurrection life who chooses to come back. And we need to see his wounds too. We need to know that peace is still possible even when our bodies still hold the wounds and pain of the past. You see, resurrection doesn't erase the past, as we can see from Christ's own hands. Resurrection meets us in the deepest, most vulnerable places and heals what we thought was impossible And then in turn, we offer our own wounds to the world to see the story of brokenness that was made new again through God. Sitting among his disciples, Christ shares that God is more powerful than death. Brokenness is not our final story, just a piece of it. In our wounded Savior, we see a power that transforms the tomb and our darkness into something life-giving. There's a reason that the gospel writer makes sure Jesus' flesh is seen and felt, assuring us that Jesus is no ghost or figment of the imagination. He is flesh and blood, a dead man that walks again. But we need to see the disciples, and we need to see Thomas touch Jesus' wounds, touch his physical body, and realize that Jesus' peace is too for our entire being, our body, mind, and hearts. Theologian Debbie Thomas writes, there's a great deal to love about Thomas's encounter with Jesus, but what I love most is that Jesus appears to his skeptical disciples in a body that is scarred and wounded a body that openly bears its traumatic history, a body that refuses to hide its suffering, its sorrow, its brokenness. What Jesus sports are not old wounds. They are wounds so raw that the doubting disciple places his fingers inside of them. Perhaps Jesus winces when Thomas touches him, but to me, the wincing signals real life lived at a level we can comprehend. It signals real engagement, real presence, real pain. It speaks the very words I hunger to hear. Hunger to hear. I am with you. I am with you where it hurts. I don't float thousands of sanitized feet above reality, even after death. I dwell in the hot, searing heart of things, exactly where you dwell. On this first Sunday after Easter, even though we are resurrection people, we are still hurting. The world is still wounded. And so it can be hard to celebrate the risen Christ when so much around us seems filled with death and chaos. 
But Jesus' resurrection invites us to look at our wounds directly and not feel shame, but see a God that is willing to know our pain so that we might be healed through him. And so instead, we may boldly bring our questions to Christ, invite him into the pain that we live with, and embrace the peace that he offers even when resurrection life seems overwhelming and confusing. We don't have to have it all figured out to embrace Christ's resurrection and peace. We can have our questions and doubts, and God will still search us out as Christ did Thomas. In Jesus' wounds, we meet a God that desires to know us through and through, no matter what we have experienced or believe. I am grateful. I really am. I am grateful that this gospel writer was willing to show us the disciples in this frightened state, grateful that Thomas was willing to acknowledge his skepticism and show us that it is okay to question and struggle. Our questions do not negate our salvation. Christ offers his peace even when we don't understand what God is doing in resurrection. And so, God, and so Jesus honors the desire to see more, to experience more, and to encounter more. He blesses those who struggle to believe but stick around anyway. He leans towards those who yearn for more of him. Jesus leads with brokenness so that we might follow him into glory. And so during this week after, during hard times that continue, may we find our solace, hope, and courage in the wounded yet risen Christ. Amen. Let us now come before God, offering our hearts in prayer. God of all who doubt and God of all who believe, by the gift of your spirit, enable us to hear you with our ears, to see you with our eyes, and to touch you with our hands, your word of life, Jesus Christ, who in our own lives and in the world around us lives. Use our doubts that in our weakness we might find strength. Call us again to be your disciples, following you in faith and proclaiming you in love. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. O oh God, we pray for the church in all its forms, in all its faith and all its doubt. Breathe on us your Holy Spirit that we may honor and pass on the great inheritance we have received. Give us the courage to be the church for those who are in great need of you. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We pray for peace in this world, O oh God. We pray for all people who face daily struggle in all they do, whose homes are stricken with constant uncertainty or insecurity or violence and unrest. We pray for the places in the world that have seen great conflict and loss of life over the last few weeks and months. We pray especially for Louisville, for Nashville, for Memphis and East Lansing, and the list goes on and on. 
Remind us that even in the most dire circumstances, through us, you are able to bring healing and peace and hope to a world in great need. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Oh God, we pray for all those we know who are broken and hurting and struggling. For those who are sick, we ask for your healing. For those who are grieving, we pray for your comfort. For those who suffer from depression and loneliness, we ask that you bring your presence. Help us to remember in our prayers our brothers and sisters in our church who are ill or isolated, who are hurting and alone. We pray for Ely and Earl, for Mary Stewart and Anne and Bill, for Pam, Ian, and Donna. Hear these names that we've lifted to you out loud, but now hear the names that we share in the silence of our hearts. O Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We pray these things in full assurance. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our risen Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Sisters and brothers, we have no good apart from God. Therefore, let us keep God ever the focus of our minds and let us give generously from all that we have been given that others may also receive from the fullness of God's great blessing. Let us bring who we are and what we have, offering our time, our talents, our lives, and our offering.